I hope you're uh, encouraged by the worship this morning about who we are in Christ. Perry, thanks a lot for that. Um, yeah, we could probably easily throw any of those songs on our iPod phone, whatever, listen to them by ourselves. But isn't there something different about singing those congregationally? Um, yeah, I, I share this often. I get to kind of sit behind the curtains the last song. So I hear the, the voices coming this way. It's, it's very encouraging how we've, uh, I think, honestly transitioned in some ways in our worship. Uh, there, there's a definite, not just a willingness to sing. Um, I think we've always been a church that's had that, but there's a different spirit that, that we're singing with, and it's, it's very encouraging. Um, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to continue in our journey on this series, Identity. But this morning is going to be, hopefully, a little different in some ways. Uh, I hope it's going to be very clarifying in a lot of ways. Uh, that, that's the real goal in this, because I think that we've been going through this introduction of, of new thoughts. And to get these things concrete and go, okay, um, what we've been hearing is, how, do, how does this practically change us? Well, we're not going to answer all the practical changes, maybe never, because practical changes can be uh, situational, and, and um, that, that's, those are things that we just can't always predict. But we want to give enough paradigms and enough prescriptive descriptions that we understand how we operate together. Um, and so that's where the hope is to go today and, and then kind of give you an idea of, of what we'll do in next steps. Is that clear enough? Okay. Amy, you're, you're one of these that, with Greg that's going to be doing this, I hope, all morning long, okay? Amy's and Greg have been talking to me uh, vicariously, Amy, through Greg, um, but <laughs> that's always what happens, right? You're really, the, the, the wife is really the wisdom behind the man, is that right, Katie? Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm getting, I'm getting out of the hole today, right there, right? Okay, preach, yeah, thanks, Gina. All the women said, amen, man, that was the best message ever, um, so where we started in this, in, in this identity series, you may just remember the title of the message itself, who we are in Christ as members of the church. That tagline, if you will, is essential because every song that, that we've sung this morning has somehow identified who we are in Christ, right? But I think especially when we were singing about being brought into the fold of God, what, what does that emphasize? This plurality, if you will. This aspect that we are not just a single sheep on our own that has this uh, you know, individual-only relationship with Christ. It's always about the plurality of the body. When we become a member, when, or, uh, let me back up, when we become a Christian, when we confess Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are brought immediately into the fold of God, which is in a, a sense universal, right? That it is timeless, that, that I'm going to some, at some point meet my heroes in the faith, like Martin Luther and Charles Spurgeon and John Owen and others that have gone before me. Uh, there, there, there's other key, I mean, can you imagine meeting Paul or Peter? Oh, you know, I, I, I have my Peter-like moments, you know, and, and he's going to go, man, you really are a lot like me. Did you not read what I did wrong in Scripture? And I'm going to go, yeah, we were both, you know, slow learners. Thanks, Peter. You know, we'll have those conversations, right? And those will be sweet things. 
But, but there's going to be an even different aspect about being brought into the, the, the church, not just in a universal sense, but we are brought into a local church. That is part of how God has wired us to be, so that there is a visible representation of who we are. So what we talked about are two key terms out of 1 Peter uh, 1, 9 and 10. And let's just go back and, and read that passage. I have a couple passages marked um, this morning, but I'll be turning with you um, because I've got too many for my ribbons. Um, Hebrew James, 1 Peter. Does everybody remember that faster than I did? So I'll be taking just a second to turn. Don't, don't feel bad if you're... Uh, taking just a second to get there. If you're using electronic Bibles, that's fine, kind of. I, you know me, my preference is get your physical Bible so you can write and take notes. It's always helpful to me. You have that brain memory that goes back to those pages and helps you find those key things. So 1 Peter 1, 9 and 10. We read, it's actually supposed to be 2 Peter, isn't it? I've done that every time, I think. It's 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. I don't know why I've done that on every slide. Thank you, Greg. 1 Peter 2, not 1 Peter 1. It's 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. For some reason, I've just left that alone. I I know better. But anyhow, so here's what we, we read here. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may be proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What an incredible picture that we get of who the church is. Now, now remember we talked about this idea of this chosen race that, that is no longer about the Greek or about the Jew, that in Christ we become one new people. He's created a new race, and it is for his glory. And that race is not about individualism. It's about us collectively being identified in Christ and who he is. And then we we see this, and this is one of my favorite parts of this whole passage because I think it comes into this idea of what we've talked about, about the keys of the kingdom. But we are called a royal priesthood. Now, excuse me. You may remember me talking about this concept of priesthood, especially this idea of being a royal priest or or, or being the the priesthood of believers is is what we term that in Baptist terminology. And honestly, church terminology as a a whole, there's a priesthood of believers. The tendency is for us, especially I think as Americans, to think individually or autonomously that I have that responsibility to be the priest. That is not the case. Every one of these nouns occurs in the plural form. So it means that we are a royal priesthood together, that we are ministering to one another. And that being, thinking about that that terminology, priesthood of believers, it means that we come together and we minister to one another. Who is the only high priest? Jesus Christ. It's not the, the, the elder body even. It's certainly not a senior pastor or, or a lead pastor. It, it is Christ himself. And then we are called to be priests together in ministry to one another. There's no one who ought to be esteemed any higher than another. And if, if let's say I identify myself just only as a priest, what do I miss? The body life. 
the responsibility that we have together to be ministering and serving one another together. So as we look at this slide, what did Christ do as a, uh, in his representation? He was the prophet, priest, and king. That's why I think this idea of royal priesthood is so important. For us, our ministry as, that, as a royal priesthood together is that we would proclaim, that we would worship, and that we would obey together. Can, can I ask a simple question? Do you find it's easier to obey when people around you are walking in obedience too? I mean, I do, right? I, I, if I'm being really honest, I love positive peer pressure. Because it's encouraging to me to do what's right. When I feel like I'm the only one, and even if I'm trying to be a person of great integrity, what's my struggle? And, and maybe you're rare, and, and you're unlike me, but, but even if I'm in the right place at the right time doing the right, right thing, and everybody around is doing something wrong, what my tendency is to go, am I doing the right thing? I, I, I will question and doubt. Right? Because peer pressure comes into play. And as a group of believers brought into the church together, our ministry to one another ought to be positive peer pressure in that sense. It's because we're willing to obey Christ rightly so that he is exalted and we're fulfilling our, royal, our, our duty as royal priests together. So we're encouraging one another in the proclamation of the gospel. That we're encouraging one another in worship to be obedient so that as we do all those things together, what? Christ is glorified because we're his. So that's, that's where we began this series. And let's look at, um, oh yeah, let me read this, this statement at the bottom of this, number three. It says, we must remember that priesthood is a corporate matter that does not emphasize the importance of an individual. That's what Timothy George said. I think that's a great statement. Um, because if we emphasize the importance of the individual, then we are denying our responsibility to the church, for the church, through the church, with the church. I could keep adding uh, of the church, by the church, right? And we start seeing that pattern, right? Okay, because we're members. Now, let's, let's go to the next slide. So, when we come to Christ through salvation, you see this little diagram. Um, salvation has kind of got the arrow right there. When we come to Christ through salvation, we are brought into an office. It, it immediately puts us into the office. Now, what, does anybody remember what that office is? Well, member, that's it. We become members of the body. Apart from Christ, what are we? Lost. We could, we could put another term on there, aliens. Right? We're alienated from Christ because of sin. But when we come to Christ, we're brought into membership immediately. And that membership is an office by which we are given uh, privileges, responsibility. And with responsibility, we have to have authority to fill, fulfill the responsibilities, right? So, what that means then is it's publicly identified and given expression by church life. That's why it's not just about the universal church. Yes, that's great. But, but how do we express that on a day-to-day -day basis? It happens as we join the church. So every member holds that office. So let me, let me read this statement. Extremely important, an extremely important part of identity. 
apart from the local church, which consists of individuals coming together in covenant agreement, the expression of the priesthood of a believer is not fulfilled. See, if we don't come together as a local church, we cannot effectively minister to one another rightly. And I'm going to show you that very clearly in a couple minutes. So let me make sure I'm hitting my notes like I want to. Um, Good. Let's go to the next slide. So if you remember, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Yes. Are you just writing it down? Well, I'll just send you the email with the slide later. Send it to Don later too. I'll just do this. I'll send it in a PDF to everybody. Okay? So that, so that way y'all can relax on note-taking. And Facebook people, y'all probably can't see it through me anyhow. Ha, ha, ha. I know I got a big head, right? Um, set myself for all, up for all sorts of jokes. Um, I drank muddy water this morning. I make a better door than a window. You know, it's like, gosh, all my high school colloquialism come back, okay? Um, sorry. Okay, here's where we're going. Ephesians 2. Remember, part of us being identified in this body of uh, the church comes down to what we read in Ephesians 2. So, uh, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, what this slide is showing, if you remember back to this week, we, we looked at Ephesians 2 very specifically. There is the, these three key terms that occur that, that employ the, the uh, prefix sin, like synergistic, that mean coming together. That, that we are a body that comes together rightly in Christ. We don't do anything isolated from one another. So you get this idea of fellow citizens right there. That we are members of the household of God. That, that we are in, whole, in whom the whole structure being joined together right there emphasizes. Now the other thing about this is when you're reading the, this concept of uh, with the same members of the household of God, the whole structure being uh, built together for a dwelling place. All of those words have this, this term oikos at the, the beginning of those, the prefix, which oikos is the, the Greek word for house. So it's this concept of together we are members of this house. So it would be easy for us to look and go, this is that old great hymn, you know, and it's, it's, I say old, it's kind of a modern hymn. I'm so glad to, to be a part of the family of God. David, you remember that. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, right? We get that. I'm not really going to sing the whole thing. Y'all are glad that we'll leave that up to Perry. So, but the idea is that we are created as a family, that, that, that what God is doing is he's bringing us together into a household where we as a local church express the family dynamics of being in a relationship with one another that is clearly defined and healthy. So let me, let's look at the next slide, okay? Now, if you remember, and this is where things get, is everybody with me so far? Membership, important, valuable. Actually, I would say invaluable, that that it can't be, uh, we can't rightly do church without it. And I'm, I'm going to bring a couple more things into play here in just a minute. So 
if you remember, turn over in your Bibles to Matthew 16, and I'm going to read these really quickly. This is all recap, and we're about to jump into some new stuff here in a couple slides. Matthew 16, starting in verse 15. This is where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he asks them, who do, who do the people say that I am? And Peter pops up with this great confession, and where the, the Catholic Church has taken that confession and said, Peter's the rock, and we're going to have this um, uh, progression uh, of leadership that's all founded on Peter, that's a, line, a lineage that is built on him. Okay, we hold that differently. It's about the confession itself. So let's look at this. In Matthew 16, verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Now here's a key. And I tell you, you're Peter on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So, so there's this little pattern that develops here. First of all, what we see is Peter makes this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, well done, but the Holy Spirit is the one who revealed this to you. It's not simply your flesh. God has been at work in you, Peter. And this confession, it is essential to the church, the coming uh, organization, because this is the one of two times that Jesus ever mentions the church. Only time in the Gospels. Matthew's the only one who employs it. He, this, this passage, and in Matthew 18, we're going to look at that in a minute. And, and his point, I think Jesus' point, is that, Peter, you got this confession. The church is going to understand this confession. Disciples, you know the confession. Here's what the confession does. It unites you in an uh, uh, effort to storm the gates of hell so that hell cannot stand against you. And the point of storming the gates of hell, and Steve's talked about this with his little zip code thing, is to take the people that were in the wrong zip code of hell and bring them to the zip code of Christ. It's called the work of evangelism. That we as a church, confessors in Christ, confessors together, we are trying to make disciples of all nations, going and teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded, baptizing them, so that they would be identified with Christ. That's the mission of the church. And here it is specifically given. Now, what, what is this concept? Because this is the first time it's introduced, this concept of the keys of the kingdom. Interesting, right? And we, we, what Jesus says is those keys empower you to bind and loose. So I've, I've, all, I've talked about this idea of key turns that can lock or it can unlock something, right? So I, what, what I believe and others have, have said is that the, the idea of the binding and loosing is who determines who makes a right confession and who are the are right confessors. That, that, that we are saying together, this is who we are as a church. So can I give you a for instance real quickly? Let's say we had someone walk in, um, and I'll actually give you this from a, a perspective. Last weekend, we got to go to Bryan College's homecoming, and I was sitting there talking to one of the young guys that has been around Christian and Rebecca a whole bunch, uh, been at Coldstream Christian Camp. He actually came to Christ out of a cult. 
uh, Rebecca, you'll know who this is right away. Um, he, he was in a Jehovah Witness church. And he said, hey, what's going on in church life? And uh, he, he's looking to, to be in church ministry at some point, do some apologetics thing. And so I was sharing with him about my ecclesiology uh, seminar, what, where we are in this process. And he started talking to me about these things. And, and it made me realize a couple things. One, that, that I think we're identifying some things rightly. But two, it's that distinction that, that if a Jehovah Witness walked into our church right now, there's a lot of things that they could say that would sound very right to us on the surface, right? But, but what would we have to do to make sure that they are right in their theology? And, and we would evaluate what? One, the whole of their confession. Do, do you hold to these key core doctrines like we do? Because if you don't, what, what do we need to say? Your confession is wrong and you're not part of us as a confessor. Does, does that make sense? And, and so we're saying those are the, the values by which we evaluate and, and establish what right membership is and what right practice is. Because as we talked about, our responsibility as royal priests is to be obedient. Part of our obedience is to make sure that we're operating in the right practices. What are the two right practices that we operate in our church life with? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those two things are key practices by which we say you're in, entering into the church as a, for us as a Baptist church, you as a, an adult, and I say adult, old enough of age to make a right confession and understand those things, enter into as a believer into baptism as a testimony of what Christ has done for you. Then we together practice the Lord's Supper and celebrate together who we claim Christ to be. Now, that's, that's a simple aspect of the obedience because I think it transcends into even more things in, in how we biblically outline how we are to be living together in the one another's of Scripture. That, that, and we're going to look at some of those things, how we operate in ministry life together. So am I being clear so far? Okay, so now let's turn to Matthew 18, because I think this also takes the, the concept of confession and confessor and, and express, expresses it a little more clearly in some ways as into the what and who. Okay, so, so that's what, when we think about the what, it's the confession that we make. The who is who we are as confessors. Now, look at this in Matthew uh, 18, verses 15 and following. And let me back up before I, I begin to read give you context. Here, Jesus begins to talk to his disciples about how discipline is to happen when a, uh, a believer has entered into sin. Now, remember, he entered, Jesus introduced the term church in Matthew 16. This confession, holding the keys of the kingdom, binding and loosing, is essential for the church. Here, he uses the, the term church again. So, let's begin to read. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, 
If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So here's the, the, uh, the, the poignant point, if you will. The keys of the kingdom are about binding and loosening. In order for us to rightly apply the keys of the kingdom, whose responsibility is it to apply them? It's the members. Where does the church come into play in this? First, second, or third step? First step is, if Joe has offended me, I go to Joe, or if I've seen Joe in sin, Joe, this, this sin is concerning to me as a, a fellow believer. Joe doesn't listen to me. I take my friend, Bill, and we go see Joe, and Joe does not respond. We go back and we share this with the church, and the church then says to Joe, Joe, you're in sin. But we've not done that apart from the church life. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, I and Bill operate in autonomy. We're doing that in the power of what the witness of the church has called us to do. Because technically, Joe ought to be a member of the church as well. Now, now let me share something important at this point about membership and how we do membership here at the Grove Church. We have statements in our church constitution, bylaws specifically, that point to this thing called a um, church covenant. It's a piece of paper that outlines, the, the uh, and I say outlines, that it's a little different than that. I try to a actually bring an outline to it, um, but, but what it does is it explains the, the, the guardian um, steps of obedience that we should take as followers of Christ in membership of the local church. Now, does that piece of paper perform any kind of magic when someone signs that? No. Could we do without that piece of paper and the signature of it? The truth is that we absolutely could, okay? Now, let me say this very clearly because I, I think there's, uh, we, we, I want us to understand this, especially my students in here that are uh, going through membership right now. That piece of paper and the signature of it is a-biblical, a-biblical, okay? What does a-biblical mean? And let me help you. It doesn't mean anti-biblical, okay? It's not in the Bible. a Typically, when you put A as a prefix to something, it means without, okay? So, like antisocial means you're against being social. You're uh, asocial just means you're without it, okay? So, the idea is that it's not, it's not a biblical thing. You don't read in Scripture, go sign a church covenant so you can prove your membership. Are there other things that we do that are biblical in our church life? It's not a trick question. There's all sorts of things, okay? Do you realize that every song that we sang this morning is a-biblical? Now, that doesn't mean it's anti-biblical. doesn't mean it's not founded in biblical truth. But are they straight from Scripture? No. There's some churches that hold so tightly that all their worship ought to be biblical that, that basically what they do is they sing from the Psalter, which is the Psalms. We're not of that mindset. Have you ever seen a podium in a church? The pulpit, right? That can be a-biblical, but churches say you can't do without that pulpit. But it's a-biblical. Are, are there other things that we use that are a-biblical in our church life? Yeah, we have a projector that's showing the notes and showing the scripture. 
Could we do without that? Yeah. But it's just part of who we are. Now, there are priorities and values placed on those things? Yes. Absolutely. Because our church covenant, it communicates something for us. What does it communicate? Rob, I'm going to pick on you. Can I pick on you? Oh, no. (laughs) He's watched me do this with Katie. He's like, no, don't do it. Rob and Jesse, I remember an evening that I came over to y'all's house when y'all were first here after having Sawyer, and I sat down with the two of you, and what did we do? We prayed. (laughs) But we also went through the, the church constitution, the covenant, and the bylaws. And at the end of that, you guys signed your name. Was it before Sawyer? Oh, I thought it was after. You were pregnant with him. Okay. Sorry, I, I couldn't. He was there. Yeah. He, wasn't, he wasn't physically, well, he was physically present. Yeah, it's just before he was breathing air. Thanks. He, he, he was in a different room. He was in a room within a room. So, all that to say, sorry for the fact-checking. Messy mind of Matt, Thanks. I'm so glad y'all keep me accountable to all these things. It's good and humbling. Um, My point is, y'all signed that covenant. Now, did that covenant indicate, uh, or or what was the point of them signing the covenant? That commitment to the membership, okay? It's it's literally so we can go back and, obviously, if if it's on my mind to say, hey, they did this at this point, I'm not going to remember all the details. So that is a symbol of their understanding and willingness to agree to be members in our church. It helps us moderate our membership and keep things in line. How many of you are married and wearing a wedding band? Okay, I could ask, how many of you are married and not? Don't, don't raise your hands. Okay, there's reasons, right? Um, no, but, but does this wedding band on my finger make me married? What does it do? It symbolizes my marriage, right? So, so here's one of the interesting things. As an officiant of many w- weddings by now in my life, when do people, uh, when, when are they officially married in the ceremony? Have you ever thought about this? Yeah, Jace. Good job. Give that boy candy bar later today. <laughs> or a $100 bill. I don't know. What do you want, Jace? <laughs> candy bar. Yeah, so if you couldn't hear Jace, what he said is when they complete their vows. But isn't it interesting when you get to the end of the ceremony, what the pastor says is, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss the bride. But what if the pastor, like, died before the, he got to pronounce it? I'm not trying to, you know, this is, y'all, welcome to my mind, okay? The truth is, when they make these vows to one another, they're married right then. They don't have to wait for the kiss. They don't have to wait for the unity sand ceremony or candle or whatever they're doing. It's once they've completed their vows. What if they don't sign the certificate? Are they still married? I would say absolutely before the Lord, right? Now, before the state, the state may be going, well, we haven't had that mailed in, blah, 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 blah. But they're still married unto the Lord, especially if it's in a Christian ceremony. Okay, why? Because it's the vow. So what does the certificate or what does the ring do? It just symbolizes that commitment that everyone else has witnessed. So, so that's the point of, uh, of why we do covenant and membership, because we want to say, hey, this is an agreed upon value for us as a body to communicate these things to one another. 
My computer went to sleep. So, when, yes, did somebody have a question? Okay. So, when we think about our responsibility to one another, this is, this is what I'm driving at. When we come into to membership in the local church, we're agreeing, making a confession, the what of the keys of the kingdom, that we are saying together we're bound. And we're going to bind to one another carefully in ministry so that Christ is exalted through our worship and through our service to one another, through our obedience and commitment to that together. Is that making sense? And if someone gets outside of those boundaries, this is where it gets really to the practical, we as church members ought to look and say, but you've made this confession. Are you being a right confessor? It's my responsibility to minister to you, to hold you uh, accountable to that right confession as a confessor together. So let's look at this. Next, and this, is, this top piece is the real key. We've talked about this over and over and over again. And this is, I think, where we're getting a little bit like confusion. And I want to try to bring a lot more clarity a couple things this morning very quickly. Elder leadership plus congreg- congregational rule equals discipleship. So one of the things, and you know what? Thomas, I'm going to ask you to jump down to the Constitution section right here. One of the things that we have identified and struggled with, and I'm going to be, this is transparency right here, okay, is we think that, that there's some things in our Constitution, our makeup, and our nature as a church that are not actually lined biblically. And, and, and I don't want to say, oh, you failed, you're absolutely wrong, that makes us suspect as leaders. You could say that, but here's what I want to say. We're in process just like anyone else. And part of the dynamic and the history of our church is I think that when our church was planted, there was a perspective, like a lens that we put on. They said, we're going to look at leadership as the key to the church. And, and we're not going to balance these things with the congregational life. Greg, is that an overstep or a misstatement? Okay. Because Greg, you were, I think you and Amy were um, early members, founding members, right, in, in the church life. Yeah, or right after. Okay. So... Here early, Jeff and Debbie, were, were y'all about the same, right? Okay, first members, okay? So, so that's a fair statement, because I wasn't here at that point. I'm, I'm having to go back and interpret a little. Look at what our Constitution says, okay? It says the Grove Church is governed by elders and not by the membership. I think that's wrong. And, and so is, is it led by the elders yeah, that's, that's where we ought to be. Because elder leadership plus congregational rule equals discipleship. If we as elders govern and do everything, what does it really do for you as members? And this is what we've been getting at. It strips you of your responsibility for one another in, in healthy ministry. And, and it, pre- it prevents, it, it interrupts healthy discipleship. So, Let's go back up and, and um, look at this statement here again. So, so, Thomas, go back to that. should be 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, but the one with elder leadership. I want to look at a couple key passages here very quickly. Okay, so you might just write these down. I've got them in my notes, so I'm going to do that instead of turning just for expediting time. So, in Acts 20, verses 28 through 31, we read the following. Now, and, and what I'm going to set up here 
is this idea of the importance and, and the uh, necessity of elder leadership, but it's in cooperation with congregational rule. Okay, so in Acts 20, 28 through 31, we read, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So, so here Paul is writing to the church and he's saying, look, there, there's some that, that are called to be these overseers and there's an instruction. Pay careful attention to your flock to, so that you care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, uh, or from among, among your own selves, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So, so Paul is saying to the church, and especially to the leadership of the church, there is a responsibility that you have as overseers to guard the flock, to guard the teaching, both from the impact of those outside that might teach a false gospel and from those that are within that maybe even unintentionally rise up and teach something false. So, so overseers, in that doctrinal sense, are essential. Uh, let me remind you of 2 Timothy 2.2. I think this is the right passage. It's, yeah, 2 Timothy 2.2. Here, again, Paul is, and this is what I read this morning. Paul is writing to young Timothy, and he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, so you, you see where we started the scripture this morning, talking about the role and responsibility of multiplying disciples in leadership so that the, those faithful men who are able to teach are entrusted with the skills and the knowledge and the abilities to help guide and guard the church for its health. Does that make sense? So here's, here's what I want to get at going at the equation, is elder leadership is essential Congregational rule is essential if we're going to have healthy discipleship. If we take one of those factors out, then discipleship won't be healthy. So both are essential. Now, now what does that really look like? And I, I'm going to get into a couple graphics. So Thomas, if you'll hit the, the green, that's it, perfect. Okay, and if you're having to read through me, um, I'm sorry whether that be in the audience live or Facebook. Again, we'll put these out in email to everybody. Um, as you look at this, what I, I want to illustrate here with this diagram is if you look at this bottom tier, the outreach level that says winning, off to the, your left, um, it says the people. Who are the people that are in a, what I would call a lost world? Those people, and you can kind of see the progression. There's the secular those that have no interest in godly things. Then you have the non-interested. Actually, I would say the secular opposed to godly things. That They're pursuing uh, things away from the Lord. Then you have those that are non-interested. They maybe care less. Then you have the curious. Those who the Holy Spirit may be uh, wooing and, and blowing in the, the wind of their life, so to speak, and drawing them to Christ. And, and, and so the call to them is on that left or that right side over here, the program challenge, that we would say to them, come and see the great things that, that God has done, that, that behold the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is amazing. You will find peace and hope through the grace and mercy that, that God affords us in Christ. You get it? Then that line, 
the first little white line in between, that would be the point of salvation, the point of conversion, where, the, where that lost person confesses Christ and they change. And at that moment of confession, what happens in their life? They are able to grow as a believer, okay? So they become convinced of the gospel. They confess Christ as Savior. The, the, the program call, if you will, is come and grow. Greg, grow groups, right? That we are saying through our grow groups, through, through women's ministry and other things, we want you to come and be a part of the programs that we can uh, hold as a church so that you grow in your faith, in your ability to be obedient, to be encouraged by one another. And if you don't come, then, then it's hindered. Okay? Now look at the, the, the next part of that in the parentheses above the convinced. A, a growing believer ought to easily be able to share the gospel. Because if I were to look at this model for just a quick second, a lost person's probably had lots of lost friends, and once they come to Christ, those friendships are still existing. We and they ought to take advantage of their salt and light in those relationships to continue to share the gospel with ease. Because they've got those relationships easily. How many of you have been walking with the Lord for a long time, invested in the church for a long time, and what you start finding is the lost relationship that you have begin to diminish? You have to be more intentional about those things. I don't, you know, it's not something to be apologetic about. It's just the course of how things happen. Now, look, the next kind of level is, if you will, and I don't, I don't want to say a strategy line there necessarily, but, but there is distinctions, and we can get into a lot of things about that. But the next thing in the people is they're not just convinced, they're committed. They're, there's an ability to mentor younger believers. So, so what happens is the, the program side of that, if I can get this right, yeah, is minister to others by doing what? Teaching and leading others towards what I would say are those marks of a believer. We, we have six of those as a church family, that we'd be worshipers of God, that we'd be people of prayer, that we'd have minds for the truth, that we would have hearts to steward God's resources, hands to serve, and feet to go. Okay, I think I got all six. It's built off of our logo, and I'm going to hit that in just a second. But as you, as we say, hey, they're showing all those marks of maturity of a believer, they ought to be imparting those things and leading others and teaching others to, the, to do those things, to grow themselves, okay? So that, if you will, that ministry tier is able to impart those things to the next group. Now, let's look at the last group, leadership multiplication. The people are the shepherds. The ministry is they're shepherding the flock, can I ask a really bold question, and I don't want to say this to be prideful in any way. Is everyone going to be a shepherd? No. Okay? And that's very humbling, because I'm going to say it in this term. The body has to acknowledge who are shepherds in line with the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? It is, it is not Matt's call to be a shepherd. Because I know who I am. I'm not worthy. Honestly, I'm not worthy. But because Holy Spirit says, Matt, I've called you. And because of God's grace, the body said, hey, we see the Holy Spirit doing, anything, doing these things in you. I need to be obedient to the Holy Spirit's call and obedient to the call of the church. And that's a burden, a right burden, I hope. To one, keep humble. One, to also work hard. 
Because the scripture says that the elders are to toil and labor. I've skipped over that passage, but you can go look at that. It's in 2 Corinthians, okay? That's the call upon the elders, that they are to toil and labor in the hard things. Believe me, there's days I'd love to check out and come done. But the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 boy. This is your call. This is what I've challenged you to do. Stay the course. Fight the good fight of faith. Not because of who I am, but because of who he says I need to be and do in obedience. And that's okay. Because if you're called to be a shepherd, guess what you need to do? You need to do the same thing in humility. Now, is that clear? And you, you see how that begins to work. Now, let's watch this fleshed out. And, and, and Thomas, if you can go to the next graphic. And, and I, I know I'm gonna, in the way, so I'm going to try to move out just a smidge, okay? Um, so, I started talking to Greg this week. We spent almost, what, two hours together talking about all these kind of things? If I'm blocking y'all, forgive me, okay? Um, one of the questions is Greg and I spent about two hours talking about these things. As I got to this point, I was like, I'm going to just ask this question, kind of being bold. When and where do you or I represent Christ? Always, everywhere. Always and everywhere, right? And I know there's a little hesitation, okay, when we are in a group this size answering that. But that's probably, y'all probably went like that, quick, right? No, no doubt. If you're a believer, we do it all the time everywhere. Look at the next question. Where and when do I represent the Grove Church? Always and everywhere. It's no different, is it? But here's part of the problem. If I'm assessing some things right, especially as, as I'm thinking through how we flesh out elder leadership and congregational rule, there's part of us, uh, part of us that says, I can operate autonomously. I, I, and I'm going to do it on this hand. That, that I can, because I'm in, an individual and because I have a relationship with Christ, I can make these decisions and do what I want when I want. I think part of that's human nature, the flesh side of us, to be apart from God because we know. I think part of it's our culture and context as American Christians that we think that we are autonomous, that nobody can tell us what we need to do. I've got these rights and privileges. And we kind of stomp our feet and go, nope, I don't have to, to exercise in any kind of accountability. I can do what I please. But folks, I think that's wrong. And here's where congregational rule becomes so in incredibly important. Is it individual rule within the congregation? No, it's congregational rule that we would come together as a congregation and we would rule together as a congregation. Can I share a little quick thought? Does Jesus operate on his own individually autonomously? No, Jesus operates under the leadership of God his Father with the Holy Spirit and there's a collective cooperation from the Godhead. Do elders operate exclusively, autonomously as individuals? No. If I do, shoot me. Because it's wrong. I need to operate collectively with the eldership. Right? And don't physically shoot me, but stop me. Okay? We've got too many people that carry weapons in here. I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, everybody's like, let's go. We've got permission. Pra target practice. No. We as elders are to operate in plurality together, but in unity. As a congregation, how are we to operate? 
collectively. Let's hit the next part of the slide, Thomas. So here's, here's my point. I think sometimes we're thinking, oh, go to the next one, Thomas. I'm sorry. So, so I want you to think through our logo, especially this concept of hand serving, okay? We have a responsibility to minister. I can't do everything in ministry by myself, okay? Nor can you. But there's things that we can do individually that are healthy, that, that God requires us, that, that when we find a brother in sin or a sister in sin, we bear with them, that we forgive them, that, that we have a, a friend or a brother and sister in the church that has a ministry need, we serve them, that we humble ourselves and do those things. But here's the thing, that's a personal responsibility that the hand is serving. But let me draw this real illustration really carefully for a moment. Can a hand support its own weight without the wrist, the arm, forearm, the elbow, the shoulder, the upper arm, shoulder, rest of the body? You, you see what I'm saying? So the next slide or aspect, that there is a, a accountability as confessors. So that, let me take it a step further now, not just about ministry and service, but when that brother or sister is in sin, that there's an accountability. That we say, because you're a member together in the church with me, this local church, and we've covenanted to these things, I am, as a body member, holding you accountable to these things. So that as in ministry together, we would do what's right. So that we go to Matthew 18 and say, as an individual, I'm over here operating as the hand, serving you and saying, you're accountable to walk in obedience to Christ. And that if I can't do it on my own individually, I start to move down that body support with other members so that the body life ultimately is engaged. Why? For the health of every individual. Does that make sense? And, and so congregational rule is not so much about hey, yeah, can you start a Bible study, let's say, on your own and do that? Sure you can, but is there an accountability to that? Absolutely, because you cannot operate on your own. Can you do missions on your own, apart from the church? Well, absolutely, but is there an accountability and health about how you do that? Yeah, because ultimately you ought to be going, hey, body, I need support in this. I need prayer. I need other things that go on. We don't just step outside and become autonomous. That is not the local church, because where do we come back where and when do I represent the church? Everywhere and always. But we want, I think, to step out of that and go, no, no, no. Nobody knows that I'm part of the church. It's not really part of this whole thing. Everything that we do is best done when we think about how we as the church come together for one another's benefit, for one another's help, for one another's accountability. Now, let's look at the next side of this. Thomas, if you'll hit that, you're doing great, man. So then we come into the corporate side. This is where it's so easy. Well, corporately, we go, yeah, we're the hands and feet of Jesus, right? And then the, the aspect of that is everyone's engaged as confessors. It's like so clear when we come to the other side of the hand, isn't it? Because we go, yeah, we need the body life. This is what we're called with our individual gifts and special gifts that the Holy Spirit has empowered us with. We're called to minister to one another. It's so easy. Now, here's the, the, the trick. All of this, add the next slide here, Thomas. Elders. Here's where elders fit in. Elders do this. They teach, equip, guide, and guard. Okay? The, the elders are in this kind of medium point to say, as we do this, we're not governing you. 
We're helping you. We, we want to foster this with you. So, so that, let's say, Joe hasn't been in sin. And I need to go to him. And I'm not an elder. I would go to Steve and I'd say, Steve, Elder Steve, I need some wisdom and counsel. I need guiding and guardianship in this so that I would do this right. How, in your wisdom and experience, do I do this? So he goes, first of all, we're praying together. Second of all, here's the biblical pattern. Third, here's how I want to follow up and, and continue to pray for you in those things. And then I come back and say, hey, Steve, Elder Steve, that didn't work. Joe, Joe didn't repent. Well, Matt, here's, here's who you ought to go with next. Here's counsel on how you guys ought to approach that next. And it's like, okay, that's working well then. So that ultimately the church, the entire body is engaged. Is that making sense? Okay, Greg, have I clarified? You don't know. Sounds good to you. Okay. So I want to, uh, Thomas, go to the last slide. I'm going to move over here just for ease, not move all this stuff back, way back. I want to read this with you. Because I want to show very clearly where I think we're struggling in who we are and where and why we need to change some of these things. So this is really getting down where the rubber meets the road. This is from our Constitution and bylaws, actually from our bylaws, uh, .251, which deals with restoration of membership. So I'm going to read this out loud. Members dismissed by the Board of Elders shall be restored by the Board of elders according to the spirit of 2 Corinthians 2, 7, and 8, when they, their lifestyles are judged to be in accordance with the membership covenant. So let's say Joe repents finally, after, but he's been disciplined. He's had to leave the church. How is Joe going to be restored to the membership, to active membership? According to our statement. Goes to the elders. Now let's turn over to 2 Corinthians 2, verses uh, 7 and 8. I'd actually ask you to really turn here and look, even though you're going to hear me read it. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 7 and 8. Now, do you all remember what was happening in this passage? If you don't, let me give you a little context. There was a man who was addressed in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, if I'm correct, or 7, one of the two. Anyhow, he was in immoral sin. He was actually sleeping with his stepmom. Gross sin. Paul calls the church out and says, church, he needs to be disciplined because he's in sin. The church disciplined him. He then repents. But we catch up here in 2 Corinthians on how the church had not rightly responded. So look at 2 Corinthians 2, verse, and we're going to start in verse uh, 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure not to put it too severely to all of you. His sin was against who? Not just Paul, but... The entire church. Now look at verse 6. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. See, healthy church discipline is when the body responds and that individual feels the distance from the social dynamic and the spiritual dynamic of what it means to be in membership with one another. Now verse 7. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you, to reaffirm your love for him. Who's supposed to do that? Who do we have doing it? I mean, it's wrong. And here's the point, if I'm being very, very transparent. 
because we were so leadership lens oriented years ago, we, everything filtered and progressed through the leadership and the government of the elders, like the Constitution said. And what we've done is we've excluded the body from ruling together. Now, let me say this about rule. I want to try to clarify this, and I want to get it, my statement right if I can find it real quick. Rule or government is not so much about, in this sense, the who's at the top. Okay, that's not it. That's what our mind goes to. But, but really what that word means is that we would exercise the responsibility that we are given to one another because we have authority to do that. D- does that make sense? So it's not like lording over one another. It, it's not like Matt gets to come in and rule my life. No, 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 no. We are responsible citizens together of the one nation, that royal chosen priesthood. Get it? That we are called to this responsibility together. We're not supposed to allow autonomy to go on because that's not how Christ has wired us to be as a church. So so it means that we're really going, how do we invest? How do we minister to one another? How do we rightly Serve in the body together. So let me give you a quick illustration to to hopefully finish this out. If we are a family, a church family, I'm going to put this in terms of my family, the the Warrens, okay? So follow the illustration for a second. And I've mentioned this before, and I'm bringing in a little more clarity here. And Thomas, do me a favor. Go back to the, the green... Uh, hierarchy uh, of, of leadership, if you will, okay? When Juliana or, or Rebecca and, and Christian were young, okay, and I'm going to put this in the scope of driving again, they would have been like 10, 11, 12. Would I have put them in a car and let them drive if I was foolish, right? Okay? Especially on the public road because it would have been illegal, all right? So in a sense, they're that lost. That, they're they're that, that first tier, if you will. And, and, but but here's what, what's happening is we are saying, we want you to get to a level of maturity where we can trust you. And, and you're empowered with those things. Okay? So at 15, they get the conversion. They go past the test and they get their, what's it called? Learner's permit. It says what? They're now on a, not just come and see, but they're a come and grow because they're a learner. And we're going to spend that at least a year driving in the car with them, making sure that they have the appropriate skills imparted to them so that as they grow, they reach a level where they can go, I passed my test and now I have an official license that I am empowered with the responsibility and authority to drive on the roads. And we can hand them the keys to the car so they can go do that on their own. Now, is our goal for them to continue to grow and get better? Absolutely. So can I go there, Rebecca? Last fall, 
She's, she's already forgotten. It was. So last fall, the kids are heading to college. Three cars. Katie's going to help Rebecca move into the dorm and decorate. Rebecca's in, in my car at that point, getting ready to back out. And Christian's gone ahead in the truck. In about 10 seconds, I've prayed with them, walked inside the house. I see Katie standing at her car door, checking her GPS to, to head on the trip. I'm inside, literally just like turn on the TV, and Juliana comes running in. Rebecca hit mom. I'm going, oh my gosh, I'm going to walk outside. Well, that's what I was saying. So, so Rebecca, for all you Facebook, she's clarifying ahead of me. Katie wasn't standing up. She's in the car. But in my mind, I'm thinking she's still in the door. Fortunately, Katie had gotten in the car. But in, in one second, two cars wrecked, okay? And Rebecca, unfortunately, had had a little bit of a history of backing into some things that year. So as she goes back to school, I said to her, you're grounded, even though you're college with the car. You're grounded, <laughs> You cannot drive that car anywhere and whenever you want. Emergencies only. If you need to take somebody somewhere as a, you know, one of your floor mates or whatever because you're an RA, I get it. But you're just not driving to Chattanooga and you know, gallivanting everywhere. So she tried to honor me. And I said, now how are you going to earn this? Is you're going to spend this time on that grounding. And you're going to write me a four-page paper, two-page paper, three-page paper on how to back up properly. This, and the responsibility of driving because we are also talking about insurance, da 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 da. So she, once she finally presented me the paper, she got back her privileges of driving. Okay, illustration. How many of us still need maturation to occur before we're able to teach? Because would you want Rebecca teaching your kid last year to drive? <laughs> Sorry, sweetie. <laughs> no! <laughs> Would you want her now? Maybe, right? She's gone a year without a wreck. Praise the Lord, <laughs> okay? Uh, you would. She'll drive you home today, Greg. <laughs> hey, I, I'm just picking. Thank you. I, you know I trust you. You drove me yesterday, okay? I didn't get in take command or control, okay? I'm trusting her. Why? Because I want her to know that she is maturing, and that one day, what is she going to have the responsibility of doing if the Lord tarries? And the Lord gives her and Blake kids one day. Oh my gosh, I'm getting old fast right here. She's going to have to teach her 15-year-old how to drive. She is, so ultimately, what are we doing? We're multiplying leadership in this. But, but that doesn't happen overnight. And that doesn't mean she operates autonomously apart from our leadership in, in, in this season. She still has that responsibility. We still have that responsibility. So we're constantly giving her counsel. Now, is the grounding saying, hey, not yet? Yeah. But what's the hope of that? To keep her grounded forever? No. They see the illustration in church life. We want you in power to do ministry to one another. But guess what? Maybe you haven't explored your gifts well enough. Maybe you still have some rough edges that, that the Lord needs to sanctify. You don't need to be in leadership. And we may have to put the brakes on some of those things corporately as well as individually in church life to make sure we manage those things well. That's where the counsel of the leadership comes into play within congregational rule. So we're accountable to one another, both in individually, corporately, and then in the, the leadership body of elders and congregation together. Does that help? Greg, am I making it even more clear? Okay. So... Let me finish this last statement. Thomas, go to this. 
Back to 252. The members of this church and all other professing Christians who regularly attend or fellowship with this church understand that the Grove Church is an autonomous church comprised of members who have voluntarily joined together to carry out the vision for the Grove Church as given by God and led by the elders. All members and all other professing Christians who regularly attend or fellowship with this church covenant and agree that any appeal of... I don't know why I'm going through all that. Yeah. I guess it's that statement. Yeah, the Grove Church is given by God and led by the elders. That word led, unfortunately, here points back to what the elders are, are earlier doing, and that's governing everything. Okay? Now, I'm going to make this real simple, and we're going to finish here. Sorry for the time. It got away. We have some changes that we need to go through. I think, obviously, that, that's what we've been presenting over the course of these weeks. I want to go back to this very quickly, and I'm done. Next Sunday night, okay, on October the 18th, we'll announce a time, okay? And if, if you're a guest here with us and you still want to weigh in on that thing, I, I'm fine with that. All we need is your email address, okay? Because we want you to know what we're about, and that's fine. We don't have anything to hide, okay? But what, we, what we're going to do is we're going to have a, a group of people in a forum that's discussing these things and trying to, to bring as much clarity to these things as we can. But we know we can't do that in a congregational meeting as easily. So we're going to do that on a Zoom meeting next Sunday night. So if you want to be part of that, make sure that you if, uh, get your email. We'll send that link out to all the members of the church. The following two weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to present our constitution, bylaws, and core beliefs. And we're going to say, here are the, the things that we're concerned about. We want you to read these concerns and identify those things. And we're going to likely on Sunday morning have closed meetings that will discuss those things so that we can get on the same page. The next two weeks after that, what we'll do is we'll have a members meeting in the same format on Sunday morning that says, here's what we're proposing to land on. So that ultimately that whatever five weeks out from now is the time frame, we're implementing a vote to get these things right. Because if what we're saying and what we're understanding Scripture to, to clearly communicate is that elder leadership plus congregational rule is healthy, us being elder governed with no congregation or very, very minimal congregational involvement is unhealthy. Because what it does is it cuts off the accountability personally. It says the elders are, are the ones that hold everything accountable. There's not body life that really happens. I think that's wrong, and we need to change it. The elders think that's wrong, and that's with Greg, too. Am I saying that correctly, Greg? Yeah, because Steve's not here, but, but as the three of us have get, getting our heads wrapped around this, we think it's time for change. That's the plan, okay? Now, motivation for all that. Let me say this, like I've said to the students, why? Because we want to be as close to Scripture as we can. Though we see through a veil dimly, we want to be as close as we can we hope that we're humble enough to say, we've seen it wrong. But if this is, if Christ church is, is what it is, it, the scriptures say it is, which is the most important body outside of the family, okay, is Christ's body, we need to get as close to scripture as we can. Guess what? We'll probably change some things down the road still. I'm not going to prevent or predict that we won't because we're fallible. We're, we're human and we're trying to, to get this as right as we can. And, and that means we as a body do that well together. So if you have questions, email me this week. We'll compile those. We'll get them out. And we'll try to address those things in that forum next week. Okay? 
Uh, there's been great conversation going on already in the halls, and it's good stuff. If you're hearing a guest, uh, thank you for attending. Thank you for hanging in with us this long time. It's, it's the deepest stuff we've ever dealt with, and, and I don't want to apologize, but uh, say thank you for enduring, because I know it can be hard. Um, you with parents, I mean, you parents with young kids, let me share this big change that's coming next week. We are going to do this, and we're going to take a commercial break. And for, we're going to do this for a season and test this. If you have young children, so like I'm looking at the Joneses, I'm thinking about the, uh, the um, Tuckers. Thank you. I'm going Taylors because I'm thinking about Taylors next. Um, uh, you guys have some younger children. Philip, you have younger kids here. We're going to take a commercial break about halfway through and bring them down, have them sitting up here doing song and a lesson for them. Parents, it'll be time for us to regroup, get, get clear heads, and we're going to do that for a short season. Okay, it'll take about five to seven minutes is our best guess. So hang in there, parents. We're, we're making those changes. Kids, thank you, thank you. You're so well behaved. Your parents need to be very, very proud of you. Okay, but we're going to make some changes to minister them differently. And that's not just the little kids. That's all, you know. Any kid all the way up to middle school if you want. Even if you're in high school and you want to be part of it, you can. Even if you're an old kid, you can be part. So let's pray and let's get out of here, okay? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you um, have given us your word to bring truth to us so that we would operate in health as your body, the church. Lord, that's both universally, but it's especially visibly and so, Lord, I pray that every one of us would take these truths and that, that as we are your children, that we would uh, study them this next week, that we'd be in prayer about them, and, Lord, that we would be challenged about our responsibility in, as members of your local body. So, Father, uh, thank you for the guests that are here. Thank you for the members that are here. Thank you for those that have watched on Facebook. Lord, bless us this week, especially through this fall break season, that we would be able to minister to one another effectively and to see your handiwork in our lives. We love you, and we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior. And in his name we pray, amen. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. Thank you again for being here. Be blessed this fall break. If you don't, uh, haven't been around for a little while, connect in with some folks and go and connect in communities with, uh, with sharing the love and good news of Jesus Christ so that lives are changed.